This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, you know what you got to like about the show, guys? I mean, no one's a god in this thing. We don't stiff Eli Manning and his Duke University workouts. We're always there when it comes to anything to do with your Oakland Raiders, Ron. I love my Raiders. Yeah, I know you do. And we're smart enough not to make jokes about bombs when we fly out of LAX, which means, oh. Ronnie, yes, which means we don't belong to today's NFL. You got that right, Clark. Today's NFL seems more absurd with each passing news cycle. Yeah. Tom Brady's in the Middle East with an Arab sheik while his teammates are beginning OTAs. Baker Mayfield is being pressured to leave his family to please the NFL suits. And on and on we go. It's, it gets more absurd and more absurd. Welcome to Wonderland, Alice. Can that cheek run deep roots, Ron? <laughs> playing catch with. Really? Hey, well, hey, uh, Goosey, if all the players not showing up or are holding out, um, or heaven forbid, saying they had explosives in their suitcase, that one's still, yeah, that's unbelievable. Anyway, uh, I think the one that got me most was the Giants offensive lineman Eric Flowers. Yeah, Eric Flowers skipping the first day of Pat Shermer's off-season workouts with the Giants. Goose, you want to explain that one to me? Well, let me see. New coaching staff, new offense, new position. Eric Flowers has an awful lot on his plate, but in no apparent hurry to pick up his fork. It's that kind of attitude that doomed the Giants to a 3-13 and finish last season, and this isn't exactly a Pro Bowl player. <laughs> exactly right. He's a flower ready to bloom. It's springtime. There you go. <laughs> it's springtime, Ron. You know how we're spring in this in the Northeast. It, it snowed again yesterday. Unreal. It was anyway, snowing here this afternoon. So, Terrible. Yeah, and, and Eric Flowers is a little bit hard to believe. But yeah, but I would, what I would like to explain, guys, is today's lineup. We, we have Rams GM Les Snead to talk about the busiest, maybe the best, offseason of any NFL team out there. We have former Miami tight end Farrell Edmonds to talk about his three sons, one of whom is in the NFL, and the other two who are in this month's NFL draft. We have Jeff Legwald, Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald at ESPN.com to talk about the best Denver Broncos not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and draft expert Robbie Esch of the Huddle Report to give us a lowdown on this month's draft. Uh, that's a lot, and there's a lot coming up here, so I, I know we've got to get to it, and we've got plenty of time to do that, and we will right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is Ruben Brown, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Wow, uh, there's a ton to get to this week, guys. So let's start with Carolina linebacker Thomas Davis. Um, he was suspended four games for using PEDs, Goose. Um, forget that that's a blow to Carolina because it is. But it's also a blow to Thomas Davis's legacy. I guess the question I'm going to ask you starting off here is how much? I saw his video apology. Once again, it was a case of a player blaming a supplement, saying it's a supplement he's taken for years, but one that suddenly <laughs> and unbeknownst to him included a banned element. Then, of course, he admits a player must be responsible for everything he puts in his body and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Who's, whatever happened to accountability? I mean, yeah. aren't these guys accountable? Come on. Hey, Ronnie. It's amazing um, how they sneak that stuff in there when nobody's looking. I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I hate it when that happens. 
Well, it's something else you're going to hate here. Uh, there are people out there, oh, here we go, who one day, Ron, settle down, are going to push this guy for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. No. They are. Greasy they are. hair. And that's, why, yeah, and that's why I wanted to open with him here, this segment. Where do you put him? Uh, Hall of Very Good? Hall of Good? Or the Hall of uh, maybe let's move on with this conversation? Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, uh, mostly the latter. I'd say he's most likely the Hall of Pretty Good, uh, which in the NFL makes you pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But look, he's got one All Pro selection and three Pro Bowls in 12 years. That does not a Hall of Famer make. I mean, he's not even the best linebacker on his team, and right. it's not even close. Uh, but I would put it to you this way, and Gooseman will like this. Um, we have a game to win. We need a linebacker. Wilbur Marshall, Joe Fortinato, Tommy Nobis, Bill Berge, Carl Mecklenburg, Randy Gratishar, Leroy Jordan, Maxie Bond, Chuck Howley, Andy Russell, George Webster, Carl Banks. When do we get to this guy? <laughs> so when do we? Uh, that would be never. Um, well, listen, um, another guy in the news is someone I thought would be a topic of conversation for Kent one day, but that was, of course, before the last two years. And that's Indianapolis quarterback Andrew Luck, who this week appeared before the, the press in Indianapolis and said, quote, he's not a perfect-feeling athlete right now, unquote. Now, I, I'm not sure what that means, mostly because I'm not sure who is a perfect-feeling athlete right now. Ron, maybe it's Patrick Reed. I don't know. You were down in Augusta. Um, but what perfectly do you expect? Round. From- <laughs> he's perfectly round yeah. athlete. Yeah, well, what do you expect from this guy, Goose? And, and, and let's forget about resurrecting the Colts. Can he or will he resurrect Andrew Luck in his career? If he's healthy, he's an elite talent. But is he healthy? Will he ever be healthy? I mean, who knows? The the guy hasn't played for a year, and he says he's not perfect feeling right now. Not a good sign for Luck, for the Colts, or for their fans. He's had a year to heal, and apparently he's not healing. Yeah, well, it seems like it just seems like there are a lot of speed bumps for this guy to overcome, and 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 I'm not talking just about his physical well-being, I and mean, that's a huge deal, as you mentioned, Goose. But while he's away, I mean, the Jags got well again. I mean, they won the division. Houston found a quarterback, and Tennessee made the playoffs. Oh, and and now he has a new head coach, new head coaching staff. I mean, there's a lot to overcome. But Ron, you know, then again, he's a Stanford grad. You know how I feel about Stanford grads, so uh, yeah. maybe he can figure something out. Yeah, I know I feel about Stanford grads myself. They're all like this. Uh, I was was a little wondering about that whole Stanford grad situation because one of the things he said uh, uh, a couple days ago was uh, uh, he compared his arms to Santiago's from Hemingway's (laughs) Tragic Fisherman, you know, in The Old Man of the Sea. Maybe he did just the cliff notes and didn't realize at the end Santiago came back with a sore arm, a fish head, and some bones. (laughs) Not that was good. Andrew, that was Andrew Luck who did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Luck. Not good. <laughs> well, Ron, I, you did that education pretty well because apparently you did know who Santiago was. I did. And he wasn't the starting pitcher for the Red Sox in 1967, okay? Jose Santiago. Jose Santiago. He could bring That's it. That's right. He was good. He was good. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, um, I saw something the other day that predicts Six quarterbacks going in the first round. Um, and that's the first time, if it happens, it's the first time that's happened since 83. That, of course, was the John Elway-Dan Marino draft. And, and Goose, um, you're the draft expert, not only here, but virtually everywhere. You see that happening? I mean, are, are you as high on Oklahoma State's Mason Rudolph, because that's the sixth name that keeps getting tossed around, as some of these uh, other so-called draft experts seem to be? You know, there may be six, but it won't be based on talent. It'll be based on need. There isn't a John Elway in this class. There isn't a Jim Kelly in this class. And there certainly isn't a Dan Marino in this class. Mm -hmm. But the game is more driven by the quarterback position than it was in 1983. So there's a premium on the position, but not necessarily the player. 
So I can see six quarterbacks in the first round, but Mason Rudolph will be at the back end of the round, may wind up, he may be one being as successful as Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen at the front end. These guys aren't franchise quarterbacks. Goose, you like Rudolph? Have you seen much of him? Yeah, yeah, good player. Um, I, again, I, I could see him going in, in the last five or six picks of the first round, and he may be as good as Mayfield or Allen or any of these guys. Okay, well, let's go down near the bottom of that round because the Patriots have two first-round draft picks. Ron, um, any chance they take a quarterback with one of those two picks? Well, it's interesting. That's what a lot of people are speculating about, uh, that that was part of the reason to trade Brandon Cooks. Then they have two number ones and number two. They could package something up and, and, and move maybe fairly high if they choose to. Uh, but uh, when you think about it, you know, they got Tom Brady in the sixth round, so what's the hurry? Uh, my guess is Belichick will make a trade and he'll make a move and he'll end up taking a guard like Logan Mankins and everybody go, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I just don't think he's going to do it. Uh, I don't think they're that in love with any of these uh, quarterbacks coming out this year. Well, uh, Ron, since we're on the subject of the Patriots, uh, any chance that Bill Belichick ripped you in front of reporters for working out with Brady's personal trainer? <laughs> um, you know, I ask because there's a report out there that had him doing that in front of the team last year with Gronk. But right. I'm just wondering if that extended to the media as well. And, and if well, it did, you'd be the first guy on the list, I would think. I would say if there's one thing he never had to worry about was me working out with Tom Brady's personal <laughs> trainer or Goose's personal trainer, for that matter. <laughs> hey, Goose, why would you pick a fight with one of your most indispensable players and, and the trainer of your most indispensable quarterback? Because you don't want your players to get a big head. They haven't won it. <laughs> They haven't won it. Yeah, at least in a year. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we're going to stay with Ron here, though not with the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, we're going to why not stay with the Patriots? I guess we are with our State Your Case segment. And this week, Ron, you wrote about a Patriot. That would be Houston Antoine on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, making a case for him to be included in the conversations for Canton. So you want to tell us what you like about the twine. Love Twine. It was when I was a young boy. Houston Antwine may have been forgotten by those who never saw him terrorize opposing offenses during his 11-year uh, career spent mostly in the AFL. But if you ever actually experienced an afternoon in his grasp, you never forgot it. Uh, Hall of Fame guard Billy Shaw of the Buffaloes once said, I look the way I look today, bald, because of Houston Antwine. I worried about him. He was one of the best pass rushers in the a- AFL. He was my nemesis. He was a lot of guys' nemesis uh, after first arriving there in 1961. He'd been a standout college career as both a football player and wrestler at Southern Illinois. Uh, and many insist it was his mastery, uh, mastery of the latter sport uh, that made him a six-time AFL All-Star and eventually a first-team selection on the AFL's all-time team. Uh, at only six feet tall and 270 pounds, his, he had incredible athleticism and quickness and foot speed. But the big factor was his ability to use the leverage when you're such a squat guy. Uh, the latter was learned during his years as an NAIA college wrestling champion for the Salukis. Later, Curly Cup, uh, Curly Culp, himself an AFL alumni, uh, would use the same wrestler's training and command of leverage to become the first pure nose tackle ever elected to the Hall of Fame. Such was Antoine's dominance at defensive tackle during his years with the Patriots uh, before finish, finishing his career in 72 with the Eagles, where he started nine games, by the way, even though it was his last season. He became uh, first-team All-AFL all-time team, along with the Bills' Tom Sestak at defensive tackle, leaving behind Hall of Famers Buck Buchanan and Curly Culp, as well as second-team selection uh, Tom Keating. 
although sacks were not uh, a statistic compiled yet, but film review shows he had 39 sacks, which is as many as Richard Seymour got when he was playing for the Patriots. You can see why he was an all-star six consecutive years. Originally drafted by the Oilers, they traded him almost immediately to the Patriots for a fourth-round pick, and wish they hadn't because he led the Patriots in sacks three consecutive years, was a dominating uh, run stopper as well as a pass rusher. Sadly, he's the type of player few people remember today because they don't have highlights. But if they did, you'd see he was Warren Sapp before Warren Sapp without the need for volume control. Brown, it sounds like the, the Boston Hall of Fame rep has dropped the ball in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Kicked it all over the place, but I blame Will McDonough. He was there. That was his job. <laughs> well, we're out of time, guys, but we're not out of candidates for Ken. Not yet. In fact, we're going to be talking about the best of the Denver Broncos that are not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame when we return. There are plenty of them. This is the Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, funny thing about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We hear a lot of guys complain about not getting in, yet it doesn't seem to make a difference with the Denver Broncos. I mean, they still have trouble getting the sniff. You can look it up. The Broncos have three more Super Bowl appearances, and they have eight, than they do Hall of Famers. And, Ron, you're a math major. That means they've got... That's Oop. right. Five Hall of Famers <laughs> who spent the bulk of their NFL careers in Denver. So in keeping with our best not in Canton series, we have Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com to explain what's happening, or in this case, I think, not happening with the Hall and the Broncos, and, and who the best players, coaches, GMs, or in this case, owner. I mean, which are the most glaring omissions from his town? Hey, Leggy, welcome back. How's it going, fellas? Great. Hey, Jeff, I'm it's not sure if this good. segment is long enough to discuss all the deserving Broncos who remain on, <laughs> yeah. on the outside of Canton looking in. Randy Gratishar, Carl Mecklenburg, Louis Wright, Steve Atwater, Lionel Taylor, Riley Odoms, Dan Reeves, Mike Shannon, Pat Bolin. They've all been short on discussion and consideration. So in your mind, who is the most deserving Bronco not in Canton? Well, guys, I think after you, you know, uh, after you get past Bolin as the owner in the contributor category, I think in the other categories, you know, I think Gratishar as a former defensive player of the year, uh, Louis Wright, uh, they're probably the two most glaring in my mind with, with Carl Mecklenburg very close uh, to that group. But that, that would be the, the guys I would point at right away. And Louis Wright is in the seniors pool and he was never discussed as a modern era candidate, and uh, I believe Randy Gratishar is now in the seniors pool. He he was discussed uh, uh, multiple times as a finalist, but uh, those two guys, I think, ultimately would would be the most glaring in terms of the fans here. They would say Bolin and, and, and Gratishar. If you talk to the average Bronco fan, well, Leggy, as you know, I'm not much of an owners guy. Uh, so we will dismiss that. Um, I like players. So what's the difference between Gratishar and Mecklenburg? Uh, Art Shell once told me the difference was if you like them on the top of the pile or the bottom of the pile, because that's where you found Mecklenburg. What's your take? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, Ron, I think Mecklenburg's versatility has worked against him because the Broncos moved him all over because he right. could play all over. Yep. And, you know, Joe Collier who was the defensive coordinator for all of those years, is, is adamant he would he was willing to play Mecklenburg almost anywhere except corner 
uh, in the defense. And, and there are games, and I, I've seen the video myself, where he has played six and seven positions in the same game. And, and I think that works in the Hall of Fame discussion. I think sometimes that works against you because you don't ultimately have the the numbers that that grab people. So uh, I, I think Gratishar, the, the tackle numbers, are always disputed and there's no way to prove or disprove, you know, he had that many 200 tackle seasons. So, I mean, I, uh, I think if not for those, he would already be in, but I think people are, you know, again, uh, Stan Jones was a, a hall of famer and he was on the coaching staff here and was in charge. In fact, of tabulating those tackle numbers. And when he was alive, he swore to me that he would, give a deposition and swear on Bibles that, that the tackle numbers were correct. But I think Gratishar was, you know, you're looking at a player who who was at that one position his whole career and played it there. And I think Mecklenburg, you're looking at a guy that moved all over the formation. So as, as a voter, it would just be whatever you believed tipped the scales for those guys. You know, like it's funny with with all these guys you mentioned. Goose is right. I mean, you look; it's a laundry list of of guys who could be or maybe should be the Pro Football of Him. I did think you'd mention a defensive back early, but I didn't think it would be Louis Wright. I, I thought it'd be Steve Atwater, and he's a guy that, quite honestly, I don't understand why he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, his first team all decade in the nineteen nineties, and and that team is voted on by the Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, and yet he and Leroy Butler, both of whom are first team all decade. They can't get in, but at least Atwater's been a finalist. He's been a finalist once. But Butler, last, last uh, this year, I mean, last year I guess it was, but when we voted, but this year was the first time he even made it as a semifinalist. So what are we missing about Steve Atwater, and why do you sort of push him behind some of these other guys? Well, I don't push him behind. I, you know, I think he's in that group. But, you know, it's just, you know, you asked me to pick. I, I think Louie Wright is one of the most underrated players in the modern era of the league, but Atwater, I believe, is a Hall of Famer. And I I worry as a voter because if you look at the 15 finalists from 2017 and 2018, there was only one finalist who didn't either get in or move to the list the next year again as a finalist, and that was Atwater. He, he was yeah. kicked out of the room uh, between 2017 and 2018. And he was the only finalist from 2017 that happened to uh, who didn't either go in or move on to be a finalist again. And he plays safety, and we all know that uh, that can be an issue in the room because there's just no, you know, you're not going to have the interception numbers for some of those guys. That wasn't his kind of a, of a game. But, you know, when you're talking, in, to me, when you're talking an eight or nine time pro bowler in that era when when pro bowls meant a little more and an all-decade player i I think you're looking at the resume of a hall of famer and you know i I, i'm concerned he's it's going to take him a while to get back in the room with all the first timers coming up in the next few years me too Jeff, uh, Dan Reeves took the Broncos to three Super Bowls, and Mike Shanahan won two Lombardi trophies. Do one or both deserve consideration, and do one or both belong? Well, Goose, I think both deserve their day in court, as it were. I, I always think the Super Bowl winners should get a little more uh, weight on the scale. You know, but, but Reeves just made the team's ring of fame 
uh, in the past couple of years. So that, you know, that was a long time coming even. So, uh, but I think of the two, you know, I think Shanahan's resume that, you know, the Redskins years notwithstanding, but I think Mike's career as an assistant coach and what he did, uh, you know, his role on the 49ers team, even as on that great, great, 49ers team as a, as an offensive coordinator, and then what he did when he came to to Denver would would give him the, the right to have his day as a finalist to at least be discussed. Uh, again, it's hard for coaches because they're in with players, and I think a lot of us would say if if you're trying to ch- choose, you know, am I going to put a player in or a coach in? It, it's hard to ignore the backlog at, among the players. Well, look at the uh, AFL era players, as we all know, were slighted by the committee for a long time. Uh, and when I think of the Broncos, I think of Lionel Taylor. When I was a kid, the first player in history to catch 100 passes in a season. Uh, he did it four decades before that was the norm, or it seems the norm. He was a five-time AFL receiving champion. Uh, how do those credentials fall through the cracks? It would seem like they would take pretty big, wide cracks to get through. Well, that is, that is a wide crack. Not bad for a guy. Uh, Alice wanted to play at linebacker, I guess, either. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... exactly. <laughs> Papa genius. Uh, no, and, and that, to me, that's representative of a lot of the AFL guys. You know, they're sort of held to this, oh, defenses weren't that good and personnel wasn't that good. They weren't the established league and they threw all the time. Well, that's fine, but you're judged among your peers. You know, when you played, who you played against, and how did you do? And I don't think there's any question that his numbers are way ahead of his time and I don't recall us discussing any of the quarterbacks that were throwing to him. So uh, I think like Floyd Little, those teams were so bad. I mean, they they were poorly put together. They were essentially two- and three-man teams, you know, with Lionel Taylor, with Floyd Little. I mean, those guys were carrying the bulk of the load. And I, I think you could even argue Lionel Taylor had to carry so much of the load. I think his career was probably shortened by it. And, you know, that his time with the in Houston, I think, showed the wear and tear he had as, as you know, about, you know, how much he was asked to do in that Bronco offense. But, yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys in that vast ocean of senior players that, man, they deserve to at least be discussed. Leggy, why do you think that is? I mean, people have said there's a bias against the Broncos or there's a conspiracy against them. I, I don't believe that. Um, but I do believe there are a lot of guys who should be in who are who are not in. Why? What's happened? Uh, Clark, I and you know objectively because you know I I didn't grow up in Denver. I've been here a long time now. But you know, arriving from somewhere else to sort of take in the the culture and the climate, I think their success is underappreciated. I think if you ask people, okay, list all the teams that have been to eight or more Super Bowls, I'm not sure people would get the Broncos right away. And I think if you asked, you know, people to sort of rank teams by their local interests, you know, this is a lot like, you know, you guys have been here and can argue the point, but I think it's a little like Green Bay West. I mean, this is a regional team with a rabid following. I mean, they've sold out every game since 1970. And uh, I think that speaks to how deep they are in the culture here. But I don't think that resume is appreciated nationwide. I don't think people lump them in with those 
foundation teams that, you know, with the local cultural interest, but this is every bit as part of the fabric of the community here as, as the Bears are in Chicago, and I, I grew up in Chicago, so I, I, mean, I don't say that lightly, but it's the same kind of thing, but I don't think that's appreciated nationwide as, as it is here. Well, Jeff you're appreciated is, uh, here, Jeff. Uh, we got to run, but uh, thanks for the time. Good luck pushing another Bronco into Canton. No, I don't think you're going to need it with Champ Bailey up next, but good luck to you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. That's Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwell of ESPN.com. Up next, it's Rams GM Les Snead. You're listening to the Talk of Pain Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're a Hall of Fame program, and if there were a Hall of Fame for off-season acquisitions, our next guest would be the first guy in. I'm talking, of course, about Rams GM Les Snead, who in the last month and a half has picked up cornerbacks Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters, defensive tackle Indomitian Sue, and wide receiver Brandon Cooks, and made the Rams... Not the Dodgers, the Rams, the hot topic of a conversation these days in L.A. Hey, Les, thanks so much for joining us, especially considering your schedule with the draft just uh, about two weeks away. Yeah, it's, uh, like, like I told you, when you're in the middle of draft meetings, you need a mental break or, or just a change of pace every now and then. So this perfect timing. That's what we are, a mental break. That's what we are. I was going to say, (laughs) we're a mental break. (laughs) We won't be a challenge for you. Hey, um, I I think two out of three, maybe maybe the goose will, you know, he might throw a curveball or two. He might. You know, I've got to be mentally prepared for it. (laughs) Well, I, I know we're talking about what you did this year, but you know what? Look what you did last year. I mean, you picked up Andrew Whitworth, John Sullivan, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, and you chose Sean McVay as your head coach before nailing the draft. So um, you've had a nice little run here. On paper, how much better do you believe your team is today than you were at the end of last year? I realize we haven't played a game, but on paper at least. We, it's, you know, it's, it's a good question because as a GM, you, you want to go back to your – opening statement and, and go look Hall of Fame off, off season but we both know that our, all, all four of us know that there's no such a thing as a Hall of Fame off season because that is right. on paper and you 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 have to you know like I've said before we're 11 games behind the 2017 season right now so we're no better than them right now in terms of wins but when you do it when you have an off season like us every move you make is intentional, just like last off season, and and there was an intent and a purpose to to every one of them, and and you know a lot of them worked out, some some didn't, but there's always that. So, but where I where like last year, if I if I compared to last year, we had to get the head coach right. I think we did a pretty good job there. We wanted to fix the offense or begin fixing the offense and we went from from what you know 32 to 1 in scoring so pretty good job there uh it, this offseason was slightly simpler but look let's continue the transition from our 4-3 defense to to wage 3-4 and and try to make sure we we don't leave that 
that aspect of this or that side of the ball. Uh, you know, we don't forget about that side of the ball, and that's what we tried to do. Yeah, well, we certainly didn't forget about it, getting to leave Peters and Sue. Um, and I know you spoke to Peter King recently, who's also a Hall of Fame voter, um, and said that you can't be scared in this league. And when I saw that, I wondered what you were speaking about. I mean, scared of what? Of, of taking chances? And, and if that's the case, did you learn that lesson the hard way somewhere along the line? You know, I don't think it was in, in the context of the question I know when Peter asked, and I forget, I do remember talking about that uh, uh and I don't remember the context, but I think it had something to do with a lot of the, let's call it new GMs making moves, uh, let's call it new head coaches, and I think you mentioned Doug Peterson in particular going forward on, on fourth down. And I did I did say that, look, uh, whatever you do in this league, you can't be reckless. Uh, you know, activity, you know, doesn't always mean success, but I do think uh, – if I were to say my paradigm on, hey, just basically don't be scared is, look, we're one of 32 teams. Let's make sure that if we feel like something is going to help us, let's do it. If we, if all the data points that we have leads to, you know, an intuitive thought that this helps us, uh, even though there could be doubts, there could be caution, look, err on the side of go for it. Uh, if you truly believe you can make it. And uh, and I think at the end of the day, because it's a very, very competitive uh, league with 32 teams, very, very competitive, uh, you know, sun- every Sunday. So you got to make sure that you, you have the courage to, to go for it and, and not necessarily err on the side of caution. Les, Brandon Cooks was the best wide receiver on the best team in the AFC. Nobody knew he was available. How was that deal hatched? You know, I, I, I think it's maybe like a a salesman. You knock on the door and and see if you know if if uh, subset receivers available. But what we did do is is hey, obviously we the let's call it the flirtation with Brandon started. Uh, you know the combine before the 17th season. He was a saint then. The, the, at that point in time, New England beat us. They had they had the 32nd pick. We had an early second-round pick. So, you know, their card trumped ours, and, and they uh, won the card match, per se. But when we did lose Sammy, uh, we did know that, okay, we need to replace what he brought to our offense. And, and, and not necessarily in production and, and all of that, but in the skill set and what he did, offense and how he and how defenses reacted to, to his skill set so you know what we did is look around the league and go okay is there's there a subset of receivers who fit that mold and, and would they be available and and based on uh circumstances and we knocked on their door and, and ended up getting the deal done so is he an upgrade from watkins you know that you know i always say time will will tell and and definitely different different shape per se but uh uh brings an element of let's call it uh speed that can uh stretch the field vertically which which Sammy brought and uh you know Brandon brings the same thing so you know time will tell on that we really think that Brandon uh fits our offense well and and 
looking forward to having statistically over the last few years. You know, he's been better than Sammy, but that doesn't necessarily mean going forward he will be because, you know, each situation is different. So what I can say is both players we really liked, and, and, and but we're really jacked to have Brandon on board. Well, you got Ndamukong Sue, of course, but he's played most of his career as a f- – in a 4-3 defense, uh, how do you think he's going to fit at, at nose tackle in a 3-4? And considering, you know, the, the defensive tackles you already have, Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, uh, can you see yourself maybe going to more four-man fronts in certain situations? Well, I think if, you know, nowadays in our league, you a four-man, you know, even though Wade runs a 3-4, we've got, we got a four-man front on the field a good bit of the time, you know, you know, dictated by uh, the offenses we play and the and, and getting into the eleven personnel, the three and four wide receiver sets, which you know teams are playing, you know, definitely over fifty percent of the game. So we're in a four men front a lot, and so when we get into that front, we do feel like, uh oh, we do have two players who, uh, you know, have definitely affected the passer at their positions over you know in in their past and we'll do so going forward now when we get into that base three four where everybody talks about endowment can play in the nose uh you know i think what wade will do is be versatile up front uh he his his three four principles similar to a four three uh you know where penetration and things like that are are definitely uh you know, weighted higher than maybe the old just hey two capping hit a you know hit a bunch of blocks take on the double team let the linebackers make the play, but I do think what Wade will also do is matchups and you know simply put and Donovan's a big strong guy maybe put him on the maybe smaller weaker offensive lineman that you're playing and 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 Aaron's a smaller explosive guy maybe put him on the the bigger slower twitch OL and and see if he can get mismatches like that as well. What role did, you know, late in the season, your last two games against the 49ers and Falcons, they put up 30 points on you each time. Uh, what role did those uh, losses play in your decision to beef up your defense, which you clearly went out and, and did all over the field? Well, you you know, I, I always say we throw the, the Niners out because at the end of the day we pretty much played with, you know, let's call it our second team unit. Uh, on the field, so that one's that one's you know out the door. But let's go to the the Falcons. What happened in the Falcons game? Give them a great. It's a close game, even though we've turned the ball over. They've outplayed us. It's probably a three point game at half. But we had lost. We lost Brockers either at the end of the first half or right there in the beginning of the third quarter. Forget the exact details. And that's Michael Brockers. And uh, we, you know we got really thin on the defensive line there. Uh, when he went out based on some other injuries, based on the lack of versatility of some of our guys up front. And Atlanta was able to probably go on two, two let's call it six-plus-minute drives where they were able to put points on the board in the second half to kind of you know eat up a lot of clock. We couldn't stop them. So we did know coming into this thing that, okay, we need to, we need to beef up uh, that front seven and make sure that we can stop the run first and get teams into known passing downs and then and then affect the passer via coverage or pressure from there. Hey, Les, and, and we're speaking to Rams GM Les Snead on the Talk of Fame Network. Um, Les, I covered the 49ers in the 90s and, uh, and, and somewhat in the 80s, too, and I remember the 49ers-Rams, that, that was a huge rivalry. 
but then it wasn't. Um, and the Rams went away, and then the 49ers went away, and then they both went away. And now I look at what you guys are doing and what they're doing in San Francisco. It looks like an arms race, to be honest with you. Is this becoming the West Coast version of Baltimore-Pittsburgh? You know, it, it, it's interesting, and I give, I give you know, Jed York, their owner, John Lynch, Kyle, all the credit in the world. You can tell that, you know what, they're, they're making a run. They're, they're doing things the right way. They're being aggressive. They're trying to improve their team and maybe more quicker than, than a, a rival GM would like. But, uh, so I give them all the kudos in the world and look forward to battling those guys. But what I do want to, you know, say that, you know, the, the team that's the most north of us, Seattle, you know what, they still have that home field. They're still, you know, they still have Russell Wilson. So guess what? For, for us to truly become, uh, you know, and if you want to call it the kings of the West, and, and we want to do that, and we want to repeat, and we want to do it consistently, you know, you still got to go up there and, and, and take care of those guys. That's going to, you know, they're still going to be a good team. And, and, like anything, Arizona, I think, hired a really good head coach. They've got a good GM who, who knows what he's doing and, and is going to try to, let's call it, repair that thing uh, sooner rather than later. So I don't want to make it a two-team race just yet because we got some definitely some formidable foes. Unless over the last two years you've added proven commodities, Whitworth, Sullivan, Woods, Tlaib, Peters, Sue, Cooks, your cap guy must be a genius. How are all these guys fitting financially? <laughs> he's a Dartmouth he, guy. He is, he's uh, a genius. <laughs> he, you know what? And I, and I say, you know, Kevin Demoff being at the very top of our organization, but in his, you know, senior assistant, Tony Pastor, really handles the cap now day to day. So very talented. Uh, you know, definitely know what they're doing. And, you know, we have a strategy to be able to do this, uh, be able to lock, you know, our young core up and, and you know, plan for uh, the years leading up to what would, uh, you know, be on paper right now an extension for Jared Goff. But I do think we're able to do some things, and let's call it like it is. We have uh, a team that played well with a quarterback still on his rookie deal, and any time you can be – in that window, and by that I mean, hey, playing well with a, with a quarterback on their rookie deal as a team, you know, you can do some things now that you might not be able to do, you know, down the line. And I think uh, that was a little bit of part of the strategy of what we've done recently. Lesney, thanks so much for the time, and best of luck with the draft. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Les. Thanks, Les. Thank that was Rams GM Lesney, the busiest man in the NFL. Up next is our two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're just about out of time for the first half of our show, so you know what's next. That's right, it's the two-minute drill with Ron asking this week's question. So, Ronnie, take it away. Okay, guys, Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis was arrested at LAX after jokingly asking a friend if she'd pack the explosives while checking in for a flight. And exactly what was his wonderlick test? Lower than his career number of NFL pass receptions. Eight. <laughs> his wonderlick test was a blast. <laughs> Very good. Former Bucks center Joe Hawley has given away most of his possessions and is embarking on a six-month, 48-state camping tour to find himself because, quotes, that's where freedom lies. What lied with the Bucks? Like most buccaneers, a watery grave. 
More like who lied, Ron? Dirk Cutter promised change, but the Bucks are still the bus. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you want to follow him, Holly's travels can be followed on manvandogblog.com. Oh, sure, yeah. If, if Richie Incognito retires as he's threatening, what will his blog be called? A man should remain incognito.com. <laughs> I just want to be in the Hall of Fame dot con. That's C-O-N. <laughs> Johnny Mansell says if the Browns had done their homework, they would have known he was lazy, often ill-prepared for games, and a con man. So what is he now? An honest man. Big hat, no cattle. <laughs> Texas owner Bob McNair now says he should never have, apo- never have apologized for his inmates running the prison comment that incensed uh, many NFL players during the anthem controversy. Should he let sleeping dogs lie or make players stand? As an American, he's entitled to freedom of speech and freedom of opinion, the same as his players. Don't let those dogs lie. Even canines can be trained to stand. <laughs> After trading wide receiver Brandon Cooks for a first-round draft choice, are the Patriots plotting a draft day move to land Tom Brady's replacement? Brady was a sixth-rounder, Garoppolo a two. The, pack, the Patriots don't need to go fishing in the first round for a quarterback. Yeah, why would they, Ron? The guy's going to play until Adam Sandler wins an Oscar. That's the end of the Hey, that's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. Coming up, we have the draft portion of the show with former tight end Farrell Edmonds giving us a lowdown on his three sons, two of whom are in this year's draft, Robbie Esch of the Huddle Report, and a stop in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for the best and brightest of LSU. That's coming up in the second hour of the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. Or Ron, as you might call it, the back nine of the show. Four. Gusta last week for the Masters. Yeah, how'd that go? Tremendous. One of the best venues in sports. Zaylius are out. So was the sun, which we're not used to, Clark, up here yeah, until right. October. Uh, yeah. And it was look, it was a great tournament, stirring finish. Patrick Reed wins his first Masters. Right. He's chased by two other Americans, uh, Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth. It was great. Uh, and there was even a tiger prowling around, although he never got to the leaderboard. Yeah, I know. The TV loves him, but you're right. He was well off the, the pace. Hey, Goose, uh, since you mentioned Jordan Spieth, pretty nice close by him on that last day. I, I know we've addressed him here before on the show, um, but where does he rank among the most popular sports figures in Dallas? Right now, number one. Stars really? stink. The Mavericks stink. The Rangers stink. The Cowboys stink. He's, he's perched pretty good at number one right now. I can't wait to get to Dallas. You know that. Let's get the NFL draft in Dallas. Oh, really? We stink. Um, well, I, I know we're, we know we're, it. <laughs> that's right. I know where football ranks in Dallas. It's numero uno. Um, there is, as we've mentioned before in this program, A new league forming next spring, and that's the Alliance of American Football, which is a developmental league that just announced its first head coach, and that's Steve Spurrier. 
Goose, I, I think that's a pretty smart move, don't you? I mean, uh, he's bound, I would think, to put people in the seats uh, on his name alone, especially if, if, if he's, it's in the southeast. Well, developing quarterback should be the foremost goal of any developmental league. So this is a brilliant hire. You know, he developed himself into a Heisman-winning quarterback. He developed Danny Werfel into right. a Heisman-winning quarterback as a coach. You know, his drawback as an NFL coach of the Redskins was he was only concerned with the offense in general and the quarterback position in particular. In a developmental league, those are the two areas he needs to focus on. Hey, Rob, other, um, Goose, his other concern was his tea times. That was the other problem. <laughs> that was too. Hey, Ronnie, uh, quick, what, what do you think about Spurs saying he wants to coach Tim Tebow? Who, by the way, uh, guys, he hit a home run in the first pitch he faced this season with the Mets' double-A farm team. That would be the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. He can't make that up. That's yeah, funny. well, you're, you're right, uh, Clark, and he's got one hit since for the Rumble Ponies. So uh, <laughs> when I last look, he's hitting 182 in double-A, and his career average is 226. Probably not heading to the major leagues anytime no. soon. Okay. Well, he may not be heading to the major leagues, but we're heading to commercial. We have no Steve Spurrier or Tim Tebow coming up. We have all you'd want to know about LSU. And I hope there's something there, Goose, about Burt Jones. That's next, right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, before we get to LSU, um, Goose, I'd like to ask about Texas A&M. And, and, and really, not specifically about the program, but about one of its best players, and that would be quarterback Johnny Manziel. Uh, he played last weekend, as you know, in his first spring league game. And that would be in Austin, Texas. Uh, you weren't there, were you, by the way, Goose? No, sir. Okay. Uh, well, by all accounts, he was less than scintillating. He had one touchdown pass, I guess, and three sacks. But I did see where NFL executives apparently aren't dismayed. They still like the guy. In fact, one report has him fascinated by the guy. So, um, Goose, you know Manziel. You know that state. You know NFL executives. Can you see him playing in the league this year? I can see him playing in the CFL this year. And I think that's mm-hmm. the necessary step he has to take. You know, he hasn't played for a couple seasons. I think he's got to get out of the field in Canada play a full year, show him what he's got. You know, this is a step that a lot of quarterbacks have taken. I think uh, given the fact he's been out a couple of years, he's going to have to go to Canada first. Well, Ron, um, I know your Patriots have expressed interest in him um, and nothing more than interest, but they've at least looked at him. Um, could you see them moving on this guy this year, next year, whenever? You know, I, I just find that hard to believe. You know, if, if a panda suddenly shows up in Franklin Park, they might express interest in it, but they don't really want a panda. You know, um, <laughs> you know. I mean, the Red Sox had enough of a panda at third base, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, size-wise, he doesn't. You know, undersized player, oversized ego. Um, you know, they've they're a drop back, quick reading team. A lot of study time involved. Right. Uh, everything seems the opposite of Johnny Menzo. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll just stay And he's not quite meat. a panda, but he looks a little bit like a panda. <laughs> not, that was an interesting comparison there. Um, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Um, it, it, I, I guess it, I know where we're going. We're moving on from Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. We're going to Baton Rouge. It's home of the LSU Tigers, of course, and now in the weeks leading up to the 2018 NFL Draft. As you may know, we're looking at the top college producers of NFL talent, and we visited the universities of Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, and Penn State so far. So today, we're going to LSU, um, where the Tigers have had, who say, what, nine first-round draft picks this decade? Yes, including sir. Including three in 2017. Could have a tenth this month of running back Darius Grice. So, Gooseman, um, 
LSU looks like has a pretty good history at running back. Is, is that true, or am I just stating the obvious here? Yeah, not bad. You know, the Tigers have had two of their runners in the Hall of Fame, Steve Van Buren for the NFL champion Philadelphia Eagles in the 40s, and, of course, Jim Taylor for the NFL champion Packers in the 60s. They combined for four rushing titles. You know, also Leonard Fournette came out of LSU a year ago, and he was instrumental in the resurrection of the Jaguars as a Super Bowl contender in 2017. Geis rushed for at least 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns each of his last two years at LSU before electing to skip his senior season to turn pro. He's going to be another good one. Yeah, I mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned guys because I think you're pronouncing Grice, but yeah, guys. Um, uh, and I will ask you this. I've asked you before uh, about certain positions. Is running back the strength of the LSU program? Well, actually, it's a defensive line. Well, the Tigers have oh, really? had four well, first-round selections. Earl Leggett, our Bears, Anthony McFarland, Glenn Dorsey, Michael Brockers. You know, ironically, none of those four ever went to a Pro Bowl, but LSU has produced Pro Bowlers up front. Tackle Kyle Williams has gone to four Pro Bowls with the Buffalo Bills. He was a fourth-round pick. Fred Miller of uh, Clark's Colts went to three Pro yep. Bowls in the 60s. He was a seventh-round choice. Leonard Marshall went to two. Helped the Giants win two Super Bowls in Bill Parcells' era. He was a second. And Henry Thomas also went to a couple Pro Bowls. The Vikings, he was a third-round pick. Yeah, I love Fred Miller. Of course, I love those Colts. Um, do they have – I'm talking about LSU – do they have any defensive line prospects, since you mentioned that, that we should keep an eye on this draft? Yeah, in fact, they have two of them tackles, Greg Gilmore and Frank Heron. Both are in the 6'3", 315-pound mm. okay. range. Both figured to be mid-round draft picks. But as Kyle Williams and Henry Thomas have already shown us, LSU defensive linemen in the middle rounds can be pretty good values. Yeah, it seems that way. Well, Ronnie, I want to get you in this conversation. Yes, sir. Um, LSU has produced three Hall of Famers. Quarterback Wade Till joining those two running backs, but that number could climb significantly, and I would think would in the near future, maybe next year, with Alan Fanuck and Kevin Wye, both finalists for the class of 2018. They were finalists last year as well. Um, there's some who believe the best player not currently enshrined in Canton is former LSU safety Johnny Robinson, and I think that would be the Goose Man and me and maybe you, Ron, but I know that your favorite LSU Tiger isn't Johnny Robinson. No. It's Billy Cannon, right? It is. I look over my left shoulder here in my office, and there he is leaping in the air. <laughs> Autograph photographs is signed by Billy, number 20, Cannon, Heisman Trophy, 1959, College Football Hall of Fame. Halloween, 1959, reigning. LSU Ole Miss, number one and number three in the country. Four-quarter stalemate between them. have only given up 14 points all year. Boom. They punt the ball to who? <laughs> Billy Cannon. 89 yards later, he's run over eight members of the Mississippi team. They take a 7-3 lead with 10 minutes to go. But that's not the end of the story, boys. Mississippi drives all the way down the field. There's four seconds left. they got one play to go. They're at the goal line. They hand the ball off. There's a big hole. Bang! Billy Cannon shoots up from defense and knocks the guy flat. <laughs> like a I cannon was, went off. I was 10 years old. How do you forget that? Greatest player ever, Billy Cannon. Apparently. Apparently you didn't. Oh, my but God, I, what a thing. I, I watch that every I, year at Halloween on YouTube. I, I, I said, jeez, oh, we, we watch peanuts. I do. Halloween. We watch <laughs> I peanuts like peanuts, too. I like peanuts. Uh, Joe, we I like, like Charlie Cannon. Brown, you know? You like Cannon, we like Charlie Brown. Um, <laughs> a, uh, I I'd said, though, there are those who believe the best player not currently enshrined in Canton is Johnny Robinson and said, you know, Goose and me. Do you think Billy Cannon should be enshrined in Canton? 
No, no, he, he didn't have the pro career. I mean, he was good early on with the Oilers. You know, people tend to forget that. By the time he got to the Raiders, he had been converted to a tight end. You know, and he had some injuries that really changed yep. him. You know, early in his first couple of years, I mean, he looked like he was going to break every record just like he did in college. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he ended up, of course, becoming a dentist and then going to prison uh, for some finagling. And now he's back in the prison as the prison dentist. So there you go. Well, um, Found God, too, I by s- the way. A lot of people do oh, it. he did well. Yeah, I found yeah, him in prison. Well, that, that, that happens. That can God happen. must um, live in prison. Everybody I know who finds God, they find him in prison. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I thought he far. lived in the church. <laughs> um, I, I said that the um, the guy that I thought from LSU who most belonged in Canton was Johnny Robinson, but he's not my favorite Tiger. And you guys know my favorite oh, LSU yes. Tiger is Burt Jones. I just love Burt Jones. Loved it when we had him on here. Loved covering him. Loved watching him play. And, and Ron, had he stayed healthy, and you – Saw him down in Baltimore. You also saw him up in New England. Uh, he might have given LSU two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Might have been really one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, so, which LSU Jones do you prefer? That'd be Ron, Bert, or Dub, his father, Bert's father, who we had on this show. Friends of the show. A friend of the yeah. show. I got to tell you guys, Bert Jones was great. You're right. And man, that army he had was unbelievable. Oh. But, but I just love me some Dub Jones. I mean, we called <laughs> yeah, Dub Jones, he, he was who was nearly 90 years old. And where was he? <laughs> At the lumberyard working. <laughs> My kind of guy, Dub Jones, you know? I mean, you know, he was at LSU, uh, tremendous player his first year, joins the Navy because of World War II, ends up at Tulane because they was, he was training uh, in, a, in some naval things that they were doing at Tulane, plays uh, football there, becomes an All-American there, but he did it at the wrong school. You should have done it at Billy Cannon School, but I won't hold that against him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love Dub Jones. Clark, Still alive, by the way, 93 who, years old. He is, Clark, yeah. Goose, yeah. who do you love? Who do you any, love, Goose? Any friend of the show is a friend of mine, especially if your name is Jones. Burt Dub <laughs> or Clinton. Oh, oh, he threw Michigan State in there. Clinton. Or Jerry. <laughs> yeah, or Jerry. That's right. Especially Jerry. Oh, man. Especially Jerry. Yeah. Jones. Man, you talk about Billy Cannon. What a cannon Burt Jones had. And I remember when the yeah. Colts were, were going to draft John Elway, and, and Ernie, of course, he said to me, comparing him to he, the best quarterback he'd seen, he'd said, he can do everything Burt Jones can, and he can do one thing Burt can't, and that's sort of the touch pass. Hey, uh, Gooseman, uh, we got about a minute left. You imagine if Burt Jones was thrown to Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, in case people forgot, he played at Yellowshoe. But Goose, if those two were playing, you know, I'd book them both for Canton. I mean, provided as you said, you could keep Burt healthy, and maybe if you could eat OBJ away from fire hydrants. Mark, why don't you work on Roger Carr first? <laughs> oh, he Roger can outrun Carr. deer. He can outrun. Wow. Remember, he could run out. He could run down deer. They said that was Bert, a legend. Bertie be saying, "Where's Roger Carr when I really need him?" <laughs> yeah. God, remember those ears? Remember those ears that Roger Carr had? Yeah, those ears are stuck yeah, out like jug open, ears. Yeah. Open, open doors in a cab. You know, it's like man, close the <laughs> That's right. But if you think you want anyone to run down a deer, that would be Roger Ooh. Carr. Don't outrun the cornerback. Just run down that deer. Would you? That guy could fly. No yeah, question. He could fly. Well, that's going to do it for LSU and cornerbacks, but not for the draft because just around the corner, it's Robbie Esch of the Huddle Report. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our next guest, Robbie Esch, is an NFL draft expert and operator of the website, The Huddle Report. You should know about it. It's one of the best out there, in addition to hundreds of prospect evaluations and mock drafts. The Huddle Report tracks how all the NFL draft well, spin doctors do with their own mock drafts and top 100 draft boards. Now, Robbie himself had the best mock draft in the country in 2007. 
are Rick Gosselin and, yeah, you know, I also won the mock draft competition in years past. And both the Huddle Report and Rick Gosselin, Dr. Data, won past top 100 competitions with the best draft board. So his site is a must-read at draft time, and you can find it at www.thehuddlereport.com. You ought to go there. You'll be glad you did. As for Robbie Esch, you can find him right here, right now. Robbie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hey, Robbie, first off, how did you get involved in the NFL draft, its player evaluations, and all the prognostications? Well, I followed the draft since high school, and then after college, I got involved with the uh, college uh, scouting service, uh, finding kids and at the high school level and uh, getting them on our program and sending stuff out to coaches, colleges across the country. Of course, the Internet come along and took that out, so... Then uh, just watching the draft, started rating players in college and stuff, and that's when I found out that my ratings didn't always match theirs, and that's kind of how we uh, did the uh, two-board system there at the Huddle Report, is one based on the value of a player, where they may go in the draft, and then I have a guy that writes profiles and stuff, and that's where we have the talent board. Interesting. Uh Robbie, what's more important to you uh, after draft is over, your mock draft or the top 100 draft board? The top 100 board. uh, The mock draft, you can have it set what you think is going to be perfect. One team messes it up and it all falls apart. But the top 100 board is something we take a lot of pride in. I mean, uh, you're trying to do kind of a consensus of 32 teams, and, you know, uh, last year we got in our top 100, uh, they had, we had 88% drafted in the top 100. But the thing I'm proud about is we do it. We, we actually grade out 200 players, what we consider to be draftable. And uh, out of those 200, uh, in the top 200, we had 86% of those picked in the top 200. Wow. Wow. Pretty good. Holy smokes. Hey, Robbie, let's cut to the chase here. Let's go to the 2018 right. draft in a couple of weeks. Uh, what are the particular areas of strengths and weaknesses in this class? Uh, just on our board, just by sheer numbers, I think the offensive linemen are down a little bit uh, over the last three drafts I've looked at. Um, the edge rushers, there are not as many as those, but I think there's more uh, cornerbacks. And if you need a punter for the first time in several years, we have two punters in our top 100. I mean, our top 200. Hmm. Wow. Is is one of those guys from Florida? No, Texas. He's from Texas, right? Yeah, Texas. Yeah, Goose was talking about him earlier. Yeah, Robbie, if if you're the Cleveland Browns with the first overall pick, who would you take? Essentially, who's the best player on your draft board and why? Uh, it's Josh Allen. Uh, we all know that uh, Saquon Barkley is probably the best athlete, best athlete at his position, maybe the best guy at his position. However, the quarterback position is elevated. And uh, Josh Allen, I, his skill set, he needs a little more development, but I think uh, he can do things the other ones can't. I mean, he's the most athletic of the, the top three that they're looking at there. Got the biggest arm and the prototypical size. I just think he's somebody that can come in and in a year from now, you know, 
he he's got a shot to be so much better than the rest of them. I think his upside, as they say, is better. Well, there's about six uh, quarterbacks that it seems like everybody's uh, talking about. So if you take uh, Josh out of it and you look at Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and, and even maybe Mason Rudolph, uh, how do you stack those guys as a group and how many first-rounders do you envision coming out of that? Got Right now on the value board, we have five first-rounders. We've got Allen at one, Darnold at two, Rosen at four, Mayfield at five, and Lamar Jackson at 16. But in my latest mock draft, I actually have Mason Rudolph getting into the first round. Wow. Why is that? I think that's, well, I think that's somebody that the Patriots could look at or, if, or even the Steelers. I think that they, he fits kind of what they look for in quarterbacks and – with the Patriots, with the extra pick, you know, they could take him at 23-31, or they even could wait till the second round if he's still there and get him at 43. What number do you have him at your, in your top 100? Uh, he's at, in the top 100, he's at 57. Whoa. Interesting. What is it you like about him? Well, his size, the four-year starter, you know, the old Parcells rules, the four-year starter, uh, played his senior year, uh, won, won games, high completion percentage. Okay, all right. Uh, we're speaking with Robbie Esch of the Huddle Report on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com. And you can find Robbie on the web, too, at thehuddlereport.com. And, Robbie, I know we've asked you about the Browns, but I want to ask you about the New York Giants. I, I lived in the New York area, uh, get the, the post every day, read it. Um, and there's a real debate there as to whether they go Saquon Barkley or do they go quarterback. If you were the GM of that team and a quarterback's off the board with a first pick, I don't care who it is, let's just say it's Darnold, um, where do you go with that pick with the Giants? You go running back, you do quarterback, or would you even go offensive line? I think I'd go running back. I mean, you see what how uh, Zeke Elliott's helped Cowboys, right? And I mean, I think the Giants are a team that can win now. They get the running back in there. The running game struggled the last few years, and I think it helped Eli a lot. Robbie, when I did the draft and I researched all those players and look at about 500 players, I'd always wind up with a favorite player on the board. It could be a guy in the fifth round, a guy in the third round, even a guy, a guy that I really, really liked. So who is your favorite player on this draft board? Uh, actually, it's a wide receiver from Texas Tech. His name is Dylan Cantrell. Um, I, he's number 198 on my board. And, uh, I mean, he's 6'3", 226, ran about a four five nine, but he run a four oh three short shuttle. So his quickness relates to his speed. He's got a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical, and he works sideline well. Uh, just, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him drop a pass. I mean, he's just a guy that I think a little overlooked that come in, and he's had time in the slot and play the outside and, just a guy that can go up for contested balls and make the catch. So why do you have him so low? Uh, that's just when I talk to people and get the information, that's where he's – I mean, they have him fifth round, sixth round. And I think uh, the question about him is the separation, you know, just the speed issue, four, five, nine. And uh, he has trouble separating, of course – 
he played in the spread, which a lot of these receivers have, but um, he had trouble with bump and run, probably. And um, I think that's why he's rated lower. You know, there was a lot. There was a lot of hype coming out of the combine about Quentin Nelson, the guard at Notre Dame, but how good a uh-huh. player he is. So, tell me, is he the best guard since John Hanna? Easy now. Oh, careful. <laughs> well, I don't know. Easy. This is a pretty good guard. Take a shower, will you? Jeez. <laughs> God. Tell him off. Jeez. I don't know. I, that's one thing I never try to do is go back and compare them to people because <laughs> my board, the way we look at new stuff, it's different every year, you know, and I don't know. It's He's, he's good. I mean, He's good, yeah. and then there's John Hanna. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, hey, Robbie, I want to ask you about Lamar Jackson. You know, uh, Bill Polian caused a little stir a few weeks back when he said uh, he should become a wide receiver. Uh, yeah. the, kid, the kid didn't take to that, too, and I can understand why. Uh, what do you see when you look at him? Obviously, it, it, it sounds like you have him rated pretty high. Yeah. Obviously, a good athlete. I wish he'd have run the forty. I'd have liked to have seen his time, but maybe he didn't because of the the uh, wide receiver deal. But uh, I mean, accuracy issues in some cases. Uh, but then again, he off schedule plays. He makes a lot of those. Very good at that, uh, and the dimension of running. I mean. You look at a team like the Texans who are changing their offense to be more for a running quarterback. If teams are willing to do that, I think he'd fit perfect. Yeah, Robbie, we've got um, Farrell Edmonds coming up next. He's a father, former Dolphins tight end, father of uh, both Tremaine and Terrell Edmonds. What do you think of Tremaine Edmonds? He's supposed to be, he could be the top linebacker in draft, right? How good a player Absolutely. is he? Absolutely. How good a player is he? A very good player. Uh, you know, can play regular linebacker, can actually rush the passer. I mean, he's a big kid, very athletic. And, uh, yeah, very good. I mean, he can 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. I don't think it'd matter. I think you can use him, you know, as a pass rusher in a 4-3 on passing down. He can play outside linebacker on run down, so... Hey, Robbie. Outstanding. Robbie, we got to run, but I want to say thank you on behalf of the Cleveland Browns and New York Giants. Thanks so much for the time and the free advice. Thank you very much. They both appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Robbie. You got Thanks, it. Robbie. That was Robbie Ash of the Huddle Report. Up next, former Miami tight end, Farrell Edmonds. That's right, Goose just gave him a preview of what you're going to hear. Listen to the Talk of Fame Network, too. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our next guest is a former Pro Bowl tight end with the Miami Dolphins, but we haven't invited Farrell Edmonds to visit with us about his playing career. No siree. Instead, he's agreed to join us to talk about the football careers of his sons, Trey, Terrell, and Tremaine. All played at Virginia Tech, although Trey finished at Maryland, and all 
are accomplished. Trey's a running back for the Saints, while Terrell and Tremaine are highly regarded prospects in the upcoming 2018 draft. Now, Terrell's a safety, and Tremaine projects as a first-round draft pick at linebacker. Farrell Edmonds, you got accomplished kids. Welcome to my three sons. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Farrell, so who is the best athlete in the family? I tell you what, uh, it's hard to say. Each one of them brings something different, you know. Uh, uh, probably the most just gifted, just pick up things real quickly. Uh, I probably say Terrell, but you know, you uh, know, I take Tremaine and Trey. They hard workers, and they you know, pick up things real quick. They're very intelligent kids. Where do you fit in? That well, uh, I used to be the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be the fastest. Now, now. I don't know no more. You know, uh, Trey Terrell and Tremaine, all these guys, you know, they grew up in, uh, you know, the speed just came with them. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> uh, in addition to being the father of three NFL caliber players, you also were their high school head coach uh, in Virginia. Uh, so what did you learn about your sons as a head coach that you wouldn't have learned as a father just sitting in the stands? Well, basically being a head coach, I had first to uh, find what each one of them brought to me, you know. Instead of trying to change what they did, I, like, I, I allow each one of my boys to bring something to me. And then from there, I try to coach that up, you know what I mean? A lot of coaches try to mold guys into what they want them to be. Each one of my boys was different in different ways, so I allow them to be themselves. Then from there, I try to bring the best from there. Hey, Farrell, I was just wondering, just following up on that, how difficult is that? In other words, where does the father stop coming in and, and the coach take over, or where does the coach stop and the father take over? Isn't that a difficult balancing act? It was. It was. You know I me. Mean? All my boys told me I coached them on the field. I coached them riding home with me. I coached them at home watching film. The boys said, Dad, hey, uh, uh, you know, at one point the boys said, hey, Learning is good, but that, you know, uh, sometimes just let us relax. But you know what? All the boys embraced it, and, and they really, I mean, as they got into uh, high school and um, basically probably like 10th, 10th grade, you know, all the boys embraced me teaching them the game of football. I mean, you know, because the boys were good athletes, but, you know, you still got to learn the game of football. You know, you got to learn the fundamentals. You got to learn uh, – uh, Secrets, you know, you know he. Uh, I mean, like like Trey was running back in the high school. Uh, uh, Maine was a tight end, linebacker, fullback, and you know Trey played every position. So you know, I mean, at that point, you know, you basically have to teach them how to, you know, how to play certain positions. Phil, were you harder on them? Were you harder on them than you were the other kids? No, I wasn't harder on them, but you know what? I basically allow the boys to sit in on film session with me at home, you know what I mean, breaking down film. You know I mean? Each one of them got opportunity to break down film. Not, You know, a lot of young kids like to look at themselves and, and, you know, all the good things they do in the game. I try to teach them what the line did in front of them, what the, uh, the defensive line did in front of them. If that guy did that, you put to fill that gap. If if um, that safety did that, you're supposed to cover that zone or, or, or running back, you know. If the line blocked down, what uh, uh, safety, what 
linebacker is responsible for you. So you got to eliminate certain players out of the play. So that basically gave the guy a jump start and what they needed to do, I thought. Farrell, you were, you were on the preliminary list for the Hall of Fame's class of 2018 as a tight end, and, and that's where the money and the glory is in the NFL, and I'm talking about offense. So my question for you is, did the two of your sons wind up, or how did they wind up, on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, that's sort of interesting. You were on the offensive side. They wound up the defensive side. And was Trey the only one who thought, well, you know what, father knows best. He wound up on offense. I Actually, Trey in, in, in high school – you know, Trey come out of high school, he was recruited by most schools as a linebacker. Uh, and uh, I like to tell a story. The story I like to tell, Trey played, uh, Trey was at, at Tech, and the running back got hurt uh, the day before the game. A couple of running backs got hurt the day before the game. So <clears throat> Trey, at that time, he went in as an athlete going to Virginia Tech. And uh, they played Alabama, Alabama up here uh, in Atlanta, and Trey got opportunity to play. So he got in and running back, and based the rest of history, Trey, Trey I think his second carry of the game, he bust a 70-yard touchdown. I think his total for the game was about uh, 120, 130 yards uh, rushing. So, you know, man, that was a great game for Trey against a – a caliber team as Alabama. So after that, Trey never got to go on the other side of the ball. You know, other guys, you know, Maine came in. You know, at first they wanted to play him a little bit of tight end. Maine, you know, I'm a defense, I'm defense. So he, he stayed, you know, he basically stayed, you know, he basically stayed true to his guns and, and stayed on defense. You know, I mean, you know, the rest is history. You know, Tremaine projects as a first-round pick, and you'll attend the draft with him later this month in Dallas. Terrell is one of the top safeties in draft, also projects as a premium pick. But a year before, Trey went undrafted, wound up making the Saints as a college free agent. You were a third-round pick and understand how steep the climb is for an undrafted rookie. Did anything Trey achieve last year surprise you? No, Trey, you know, basically, the thing I said earlier, Trey is a hard worker. Trey had some unfortunate breaks in, in college. You know, he had some breaks, uh, you know, uh, you know, broke his leg, uh, broke his collarbone, and then, you know, he broke his foot. So Trey, you know, he was always the great athlete. You know what I mean? Trey come down to high school with a small parade all tomorrow. So, you know, Trey, you know, Trey was there. You know, but, you know, the breaks and the way he think, Trey thinks that oh, they need an opportunity. He always helped all of the boys have always thought all, all they need is an opportunity to show what they're capable of doing, you know, and, and, and Trey's a prime example. You know, he went the hardest route. You know, when Trey won with all the injuries and all of the uh, you know, people out here being skeptical of him coming back, being able to play in the league, not only did Trey play, Trey played, he started on special team in every game. You know, I mean, and, you know, he was – I think he was second or third in tackles and and um, second or third in plays on special teams. So, you know, Trey did a lot of good things last year for himself, you know, and, and that gave his brother the opportunity to, to see what hard work really does for you. You know I mean? You have all the talent in the world, but you don't put in the time and the work. It's hard, you know, hard to get it out. Well, it's, well, it's interesting, uh, uh, Farrell, because – Trey plays with a pretty good quarterback. 
guy named Drew Brees. <laughs> you played with a pretty good quarterback, guy named Dan Marino. So which one's better, in your mind? <laughs> well, you know what? It's it, 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 like apples and oranges, you know what I mean? Both of them bring something different to the game, you know what I mean? With Dan Marino, during my time, you know, the big six, what, six four, six five guy that, you know, could sling, quick release. And Drew Brees, man, I mean, strong arm, very intelligent. I mean, each one of them brings something different, you know what I mean? I mean, you cannot judge a guy out of their era. In the era that Dan played with, you know, they compass a lot of things. In the era that Drew Brees is playing in, you know, he compass a lot of things. So you really can't say who better, you know, you just got to enjoy both of them, you know what I mean? I, I enjoy, I mean, going to the game and watching the trade play, but in the same sense, watching Drew Brees like I watched Dan Marino back in my day. <laughs> that, <laughs> And the first time, first time Marino threw you a ball, did you look at your hands and say, "What was that?" <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know what? I played with some great quarterbacks in, in college. In college, so that put me in a situation to 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 play with great legends. You know, I man. You know, I was fortunate to play with Boomer one year. Played with Frank Wright and uh, Neil O'Donnell. I mean, I played at University of Maryland. I was able to play with some good quarterbacks. So when I got to play with Dan, man, I was like, man, I won't overwhelm with the situation. I I embraced it, you know what I mean? And because, you know, I mean, you know, Dan being the status quarterback at that time, I'm like, well, you know, I just got to come in and do my part, you know what I mean? So that's how I looked at it. You, you know, it's funny, Farrell. I thought uh, Ron was going to ask you who played with the better tight end, Drew Brees with Jimmy Graham or Dan Marino with you. <laughs> I you know hey, the answer to that. Come on. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, Dan Marino, I can answer that quick. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're speaking with former tight end Farrell Edmonds on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com. So, Farrell, um, how did having a father who played in the NFL sharpen, or how do you think it helped sharpen the f- football focus for your kids? I think... It, it, it helps in the sense of knowing that you know, you know what you expected to do. I mean, the preparation, daily preparation. They saw me, uh, uh, where they didn't really see you. They heard of how. I mean, through the story, the other people tell it how you get up and work out in the morning time. You when you can't allow nobody to be better than you. I mean, basically, I took on the uh, the the, um, the sand. From uh, from uh, can to can, for a long time the boys couldn't understand what can to can mean. I said can in the morning, can at night. If you <laughs> take on those work ethics, you have a chance to be successful in life. You know, I mean, you you got to take on the uh, the sand can to can. You know, and for a long time the boys said, "Daddy, why you always say that? Why why you always say can to can?" Because I mean that was drilling me early on that I mean you got to put in the work. You can't let nobody work you and. And I think that will pass on more than anything else. You know what I mean? You know, talent will pass on through genes, but I think more than anything else, the boys took on the work ethics that, that no matter how talented you may be, but you got to put in the work to be successful. Farrell, could you see as far back as high school the potential of Tremaine to be a first-round NFL draft pick? Well, you know what? I always thought that you know he will you know especially all my boys are special. I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, I look at man, look at Trey, all, all of them, and I always just dream what path would God take him. You know what I mean? Being an athlete, you know, each boy is gonna go through their own path. I mean, the path in which you may think it may be there, 
maybe a different path. You know, I mean, I looked at Tremaine. I mean, I remember in high school, his last high school game, you know, I played him at running back. He touched the ball five times, scored five touchdowns as, 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 as a 6'5 running back. You know what I mean? So, I mean, then right after the game, you know, Maine got hurt in that game. And the uh, first thing the coach told me after the game, he said, you know what, I, I ain't never wish a kid to get hurt, but that strengthened our chances to win. You know, he said, your son is a phenomenal athlete. And, and you know, I mean, I mean, I know he had talent, but, you know, his – his drive and his, you know, just being big and competitive really helps him out a whole lot. Phil Edmonds, thanks so much for the time and best of luck with the draft. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. That was former tight end Phil Edmonds, who has two sons in this month's draft. Up next, it's the Two Minute Drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're just about out of time for the first half of our show, so you know what's next. That's the two-minute warning. That's right, it's the two-minute drill with Ron asking this week's question. So, Ronnie, take it away. Okay, guys, Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis was arrested at LAX after jokingly asking a friend if she'd pack the explosives while checking in for a flight. And exactly what was his wonderlick test? Lower than his career number of NFL pass receptions. Eight. <laughs> his wonderlick test was a blast. <laughs> Very good. Former Bucks center Joe Hawley has given away most of his possessions and is embarking on a six-month, 48-state camping tour to find himself because, quotes, that's where freedom lies. What lied with the Bucks? Like most Buccaneers, a watery grave. <laughs> More like who lied, Ron? Dirk Cutter promise changed, but the Bucks are still the bus. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you want to follow him, Holly's travels can be followed on manvandogblog.com. Oh, oh sure, yeah. <laughs> if, if Richie Incognito retires as he's threatening, what will his blog be called? A man should remain incognito.com. <laughs> I just want to be in the Hall of Fame dot con. That's C-O-N. <laughs> Johnny Manziel says if the Browns had done their homework, they would have known he was lazy, often ill-prepared for games, and a con man. So what is he now? An honest man. Big hat, no cattle. <laughs> Texas owner Bob McNair now says he should never have, apo- never have apologized for his inmates running the prison comment that incensed uh, many NFL players during the anthem controversy. Should he let sleeping dogs lie or make players stand? As an American, he's entitled to freedom of speech and freedom of opinion, the same as his players. Don't let those dogs lie. Even canines can be trained to stand. <laughs> After trading wide receiver Brandon Cooks for a first-round draft choice, are the Patriots plotting a draft day move to land Tom Brady's replacement? Brady was a sixth-rounder, Garoppolo a two. The, pack, the Patriots don't need to go fishing in the first round for a quarterback. Yeah, why would they, Ron? The guy's going to play until Adam Sandler wins an Oscar. Hey, that's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. Coming up, we have the draft portion of the show with former tight end Farrell Edmonds giving us a lowdown on his three sons, two of whom are in the shoe's draft, Robbie Esch of the Huddle Report, and a stop in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for the best and brightest of LSU. That's coming up in the second hour the Talk of Fame Network.